Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 615 Sessions podcast here on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. I'm Buck Rising. I'm your host, and this is a Titans Media Roundtable with all of the familiar faces that hang out in the Titans Media Corps. Today, Jim Wyatt of TennesseeTitans.com and Joe Rexroad of The Athletic going to talk about what we all got to witness at rookie minicamp how much further Malik Willis has to go, and these reports of the Titans being open to a Derrick Henry extension. It's going to be a pretty interesting conversation, and we're happy to have you guys in for it. Of course, all of these conversations each and every week are presented by our friends at Two Rivers Ford. That's the place that you go, not just for quality American-made Ford vehicles, not just for an award-winning customer service staff that does not work on commission, so there is no pressure on you, but because they have one of the state's largest selection of new and pre-owned vehicles. You can do the Built For You program just the same way that I did, or if you're looking for a pre-owned vehicle, Two Rivers Ford is the best that there is. Uh, You know that Two Rivers Ford has been in business here for almost 40 years, and if you're getting a pre-owned vehicle, you want to get it from somebody that you know you can trust. Uh, You know you're going to be buying it from someone who is honest and reputable and someone who knows how to do business with integrity. Plus, you'll get the Two Rivers Ford Blue Advantage, which means your pre-owned vehicle will be certified. You get things like 24-7 roadside assistance, Ford Pass reward points that can go towards oil changes and services, but best of all, Two Rivers Ford Blue Advantage vehicles come with a limited warranty so you can breathe a little easier. Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet or online at tworiversford.com. Let's get to Jimmy and Joe. Welcome back to the 615 Sessions podcast. we got Jimmy Wyatt of TennesseeTitans.com and the mighty wordsmith himself, Joe Rexroad of The Athletic. Robbie and Rexroad, 6 to 10 a.m. on 102.5 The Game. Hello, boys. Howdy. How you doing, Buck? You know, I'm, uh, I'm, just trying to, uh, I'm just trying to get through all the different backup quarterback conversations that all of us are having right now, when in reality, we're probably looking at uh, a couple of guys competing for a backup quarterback spot as opposed to the starting job, Jimmy. I don't know how many, I don't know how many mailbag questions you've been fielding lately about that. Yeah, I get a lot. I mean, people are excited about uh, Malik Willis, certainly, and, and some people <laughs> are wanting the team to be patient with him. Other people are wanting to see him you know, being the starting quarterback uh, against the Giants in week one. So, you know, you see you're dealing with a split there, but I think most people realize that Ryan Tannehill's this team's starting quarterback. Malik Willis was drafted to kind of uh, be a developmental guy. Just can he get up to the point where he's a number two uh, this season? I mean, I, I'm skeptical about that. I, mean, I, I wrote in the mailbag over the weekend that I thought it was Ryan Tannehill as the starter, Logan Woodside as a two, and, and I kind of suspect that Malik Willis is going to be the number three who could be inactive on game days and just be, be patient with him. But a lot of this hinges on what Malik 
does, what his progress is like during OTAs, mini camp, training camp, and then just kind of what their comfort level is with him uh, overall. Rex, I feel like that's an exceedingly diplomatic approach and probably the most accurate approach and one that is completely useless for the purposes of us uh, sports talk radio people. <laughs> I mean, the, the crazy thing is like uh, early, I guess it might have been like the day after the draft or very soon after the draft, like on our show, uh, Robbie and Rex showed at one point, I just said, I just want everybody to know. Like Logan Woodside is the number two quarterback next year. You guys understand this, right? And I mean, the reaction that some people had to that was like, you are get out of there, you know, unplug the microphone. I'm like, guys, I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta understand the situation. Um, it's just, uh, it's just not realistic at all. But, uh, it, you know, to your point, Jimmy, I mean, hey, Malik Willis is going to be out there getting reps. And I suppose um, if he really takes off, then you could make the case to, to make him the two. And obviously then you don't have to, to worry about trying to carry three quarterbacks. I just, I don't know. You guys tell me, I, how realistic do you think just that is? I mean, for, we're not even talking about the whole Malik Willis could threaten to take the starting job this year. I, I find that to be completely unrealistic. But what about like him maybe pushing Woodside? You know, I mean, if you don't mind, Jimmy, I'll start. I, I think that I think that it's it's possible, but I don't think it's like a week one deal. I mean, we're talking about a guy who they're they're basically building from the ground up as far as the quarterback position is concerned. I mean, they're they're working. They're, they're all working skills right now. Just basic fundamental things at every position, something that Mike Vrabel told us on draft night, I think after they drafted Malik, how important, how much he values this time of year, but like, I'm not looking at this as, as even a week one proposition for him as the backup quarterback. I think, I think Jimmy's probably right. They, they need to make the math work until such time as they can be comfortable with him as the two, but Logan Woodside is, is the survivor. They can't get rid of him no matter how many Deshaun Kaisers they throw at him to try and take the backup quarterback job, Jim. Yeah. And, and I was all with Blaine and Mickey early in the week and, and Blaine kind of challenged me a little bit. And, you know, what's the difference between Marcus Mariota and, and Malik Willis as far as their entry into the NFL? I mean, there are several differences. I mean, one was drafted number two. The other guy was drafted at number 86 in the third round. One guy joined a team that was at one three, you know, coming off a terrible season and ended up winning three games, didn't have a lot around them. And Malik Willis is drafted to a team that's got an established starter, that's got that's in a window where it needs to win now. And there's just no need to try to speed up this timetable. Now, we're talking about the two. I think if you're the Titans and you think that he has a realistic chance to, to win the number two job, you got to kind of know that, you know, a little bit in advance as you go into training camp because – the number two's guys got to get got to get reps, and you got to get them ready. And I don't know that you can sacrifice uh, a guy's reps and Logan Woodside that that I again suspect will be the two to try to see if Malik Willis can do it himself. So I, I think you know, I think he'll get some opportunities, but I'm just looking at it knowing that he was drafted to be the quarterback of the future, and the, and I, and not necessarily the future means you know weeks ten through. 18. I think the future means 2023 and, and, and maybe 2024. Yeah. I mean, 23, uh, 23 would be like best case scenario. It feels like, and 
you know, I mean, it, we can't we can't blame people for being impatient. I mean, we've all been through the recency bias thing with Ryan Tannehill, which with with whomever we're talking to, whether it be Jimmy and the the red hot scorching mailbag or uh, Rex Road and I with callers and people on Twitter and things of that nature. Like it's totally reasonable for people to feel that way, but it's a completely other thing based on what we're seeing on the practice field. And what we saw on the practice field was, you know, two days of work, freshman orientation for football players and just kind of getting, you know, certain fundamental things down, throwing mechanics, footwork, um, progressions, just operating in and out of a huddle. I mean, they, uh, the Titans put out that clip of Mike uh, Rabel mic'd for sound, right? And he's barking at Malik in a very, very clean and heavily edited version, I might add. Uh, hey, you fellas, know, good practice. Yeah, it's, I've, I learned, I've learned new cuss words over the course of four seasons covering Mike Vrabel on a practice field. So I, I, told, I tweeted at the, your social team, Jimmy. I said, release the unedited version, cowards, but nobody got back to me. Um, Give us some bleeps. Just people, just people taking too much out of things like that, right? Where Mike is telling Malik, you know, hey, earn, earn a spot, earn an opportunity and all those things. People assume that means the starting quarterback position when in reality, it's like, no, you have to, you have to carve out a role for yourself. But there'd be plenty of time to talk about Malik Willis and development. Uh, Jimmy, if I had to give you one thing non-Malik Willis division to take away that you found interesting from the two days that we were out there on the practice field at rookie minicamp, what would you select? Uh, I'm going to stay away from trading Burks, too, just because it just wasn't enough of a sample size. I mean, you know, you, we can talk all day about this from day one and how much of that was conditioning, how much of that was just a breathing issue and and the, and maybe some of the overreaction that came with that. I, I'm going to go with Roger McCreary because I'm like several other people that when he was picked in the second round, you're thinking, OK, he must be he must have been the pick because Caleb Farley's not going to be ready. And mm. I think the more I realized is that that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I, I think we still got to wait and see where Farley is as far as a recovery standpoint, just what he looks like, whether he can earn a starting spot. But even if he is back 100%, I think you still need as many good corners as you can get. And I thought McCreary looked good right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, he was he was good in a, you know, when uh, he had some tr receivers that went deep on him, he kind of ran with them step by step for step. I thought he was good in coverage in the middle of the field. I watched a one-on-one non-contact tackling drill in space, and I thought he was really good there. So, I mean, it's, it's non-padded, non-contact. It's really hard to read too much into some of these things, especially at certain positions, but I, I thought he passed a good test early. Well, and I was talking to Cosell about this, Rex. Like, I think that's – Greg thinks that it's going to be Molden and McCreary competing for the slot job as opposed to um, far – like, you know, Farley insurance on the outside. Like, we know Roger McCreary can play outside corner. That's primarily where he played at Auburn, which was the same thing for Christian Fulton, even though his rookie year, they also started him in the slot before he missed some time to injury and bumped him back to where he looked a little more natural – on the outside. I mean, to Jimmy's point, like the whole, you can never have enough corners thing. I think it kind of washes over people from hearing it so often, but when you're talking about a hugely cost efficient secondary everywhere, but Kevin Byard right now and wide receiver money going crazy in a way that we're probably going to see corner money spike because for the guys who are making the plays, you need to pay the guys who are also going to stop them from making the plays. And that's already a very, very valuable position for uh for football teams right now i think i think the mccreary thing you know gives them gives them a nice 
mix and match opportunity, even as we saw some good progress from Molden in his rookie year. Yeah, it's same sort of thing for me. Like when they first drafted him, and of course I'm like receivers, tight ends, you know. But um, guard, but I do tackle, like, any of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But I, but I, I mean, I do. I, I like the idea of adding someone uh, of quality uh, to that spot, whether regardless of Farley. And I, I'd be a little bit disappointed, I guess, or a little bit surprised if it, that's what it, how it turns out that it's Molden against. McCreary for the slot. I guess I I think of Molden as someone I expect to take a step and secure that, but but I couldn't be wrong. Uh, either way, I agree with Jim. You know, I, I thought he looked good. He looks very comfortable pressing. Uh, he looks very aggressive, uh, quick feet. You know, I, I think that I think he can be an asset. I also over the two days certainly liked uh, um, Theo Flowers for sure. Um, oh my god, did I just say Theo Flowers? Theo get, Jackson. I, would you get Sorry. Robert Woods mixed up with you know are you doing different plant jokes? What are you doing? <laughs> well, no, Flowers is is the guy it, leave, leave the dad jokes, <laughs> leave the dad jokes to Wyatt. He's, all, he's harassing me on the radio with his boo Mitchell jokes. Yeah, I, I flowers is the the new is, is the expected sort of like leader of the secondary of the Vols this year. Yes, yes. my bad there. But yeah, Theo Jackson. I, I liked him. I think that that could end up being a nice value pick and sort of make up for what they didn't get out of Brady Breeze last year. We'll see. Very early, but I, I, I like that early, you know. And, and look, he was their best player last year. I mean, anybody watched Tennessee football closely last year? I, he was their best player on defense. Period. And I really like that. And I, I like Kyle Phillips. Looked yeah. apart, uh, quick feet. Uh, you, you don't can get to see. Two. You don't. You don't make the rules around well, here. I said well, one. What? Come on, man. I'm, I'm on a roll. Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about Nicholas Petit Frere's pass set? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, I think I, Joe I, said, I think Joe said, uh, Theo Flowers because he thought he was blossoming right in front of our eyes. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's been <laughs> sitting on that the entire time that Rex Road was talking. It really, it, honestly, I can't even get mad at you. It's a gift that you have uh, the, <laughs> to be able to think of them. That quickly. No, I mean, the Theo Jackson thing is interesting, and you're right. I mean, he was uh, Tennessee's best defensive player last year, but that in part because Tim Beggs figured out how to use him better to allow him to be in multiple spots closer to the formation. He's playing, you know, I mean, it's almost a, a hybrid of of the what, what did uh, what do they call it at Tennessee? The star position where we're star, seeing a, right. a lot of these different defensive coordinators. Everybody's got it, maybe a different name for it, but it's we largely understand what it means, just versatility. Uh, in the secondary and at the second level in that defense. And, you know, maybe they get more out of a, a player like uh, a player like Theo Jackson earlier on in his career than they did from Dane Cruikshank, who made plays on special teams and could have become what Dane was for that defense earlier had he not seen, you know, a couple of different injuries derail him at various points of the season. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Chig fan. I think I'm a Chig Conquo fan because I think, that, you know, if they can figure out the run blocking part of it that Rabel harps on so much, he gives them something that he, he and Austin Hooper, right? There's no question that no matter what they did this offseason, they were going to be better net positive at the tight end position as long as it was a living, breathing human being out on the field, <laughs> respectfully to the guys who played last year. Um, to the zombies I, who were on the team last year. I, I mean, listen, I, there's, there was, it would be difficult for them to do less at the tight end spot. But, you know, I really like, I really like what Chig brings. On, anytime I watch Maryland, just kind of going back through some of my notes that I had pre-draft, and then now that we know who's on the team, you can go back and get a little into 
more detail as opposed to spreading it so thin across the board. But I think it gives them exactly what they need in the passing game, Jimmy. And uh, and certainly, you know, like I said, run blocking, we know that they put the, the emphasis on that as the first and foremost responsibility, but it wouldn't hurt to get a, a few receptions out of him too. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think they're, you know, that's one position. You, you can look at the roster and, and question whether they're better at certain positions and certain units. And you know, O-line, I, I know, is one of those. And I think receiver to this point is still one of those. But I think it tied in. And it's not saying much because that was kind of a, a, a pretty underperforming group last year. But I, I think when you've got Austin Hooper and then you know, you've got Chig and you've got uh, you know, certainly Jeff Swaim. I think that's a pretty good threesome. And I think Chig, obviously, a really athletic guy. I, mean, I think we saw some of that right out of the gate. He caught a ball running down the middle of the field. And he got, uh, has made several other nice receptions. He actually looks more like a receiver, I think, than a tight end, just maybe a little bit of a heavier receiver. But uh, I think he's certainly sturdy enough and tough enough to get the blocking part of it down. And uh, and I, th- I think the big key for him is and for and for anybody at that tight end position is to be better in the in the red zone and to give this team more of a of a threat there that they desperately miss without Johnu Smith. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of different things that are going to be curious to see. Uh, and we may, we almost made it through the podcast without comparing uh, Kyle Phillips to Cooper Cup or any other white slot receiver that's ever played the position <laughs> ever. Um, quickly before we wrap Racing up. Kinsey. Go ahead. No, don't. No, I, I was screaming about this the other day. And it's nothing like I feel like your it's hatred. become. Your hatred, Buck. It's not my hatred, despite whatever his mother wants to send me on DMs via Twitter. I, I'm telling you that. It's nothing personal against Mason Kinsey. It's a great story for him, but I will not be Mason Kinsey'd by Titans fans this year. I won't, I won't have it. I won't allow it. It won't happen. If he makes the roster, good on him. God bless. Do your thing. But like, I just, I don't want to deal with this with undrafted running back or wide receiver X just because people obsess over him in the preseason, which is about as useless a thing as any other than the whole dress rehearsal element of it. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to I want to touch quickly on this thing that Jeremy Fowler had in his uh, notebook on ESPN, and then I'll get uh, you guys out of here for the day. The idea that the Titans are at least open to the possibility of extending Derrick Henry, even though he's got two years left on his deal. Joe, you and I have texted about this. Uh, I talked about this today that I don't see any benefit for it unless they're going to outright trade for somebody this year and they need the cap space immediately as far as the relief is concerned because I think what they've got going right now between Derek and the Titans works well for everybody understanding that we don't know what Derek is going to look like in 2022. Yeah, or I guess or or sign someone. I mean there's still possibilities, right? I mean they sure, could, they could still go yeah, open up I don't know. I mean but just open up some space. I mean I could make a case to uh, look at veteran receivers and veteran offensive linemen still. Uh, sure. Not that there's – I mean, I, I could make a case to go back in time and sign Dennis Kelly. But, uh, but uh, no, I mean, look, I, I think – like, if I'm the Titans, I'm, I'm very comfortable with where it is, and I don't want to put myself on the hook for dead money in 24 that I don't have right now, even though Derrick Henry has been just incredible. And he's the face of the of the team right now. And I still think he's going to have a, a really good year in 2022. It is still that we're still talking about a 28 year old running back, you know, and and uh, and I think that that deal ended up being just about right on both sides of it. And I would if I were the Titans, I would prefer to keep things 
where they are from Derrick Henry. I could see the, I could see from Derrick Henry's perspective being interested in, uh, you know, getting as much as possible done. He's about to, I think, guys, have a lot of work. I mean, no surprise, right? But where he is in his career, um, he's about to uh, get a lot of work. He's going to be the focal point of this offense. A.J. Brown's gone now. And um, I could understand maybe from his perspective wanting to to look at that. Sure. I mean, we've seen, Jimmy, we've seen this happen to running backs uh, throughout the course of any of their second contracts. I mean, hell, if you're DeMarco Murray, they did it to him on his first contract coming out of Dallas. It's just, it's just kind of the life cycle for these guys. And, you know, you understand them trying to, not that Derek's, that we know of Derek trying to leverage anything at this point, but you would understand the position of somebody in that spot looking to kind of better their stance at this point. Yeah, and the reporter in me, when I saw that, I thought it was interesting. I'm like, you know, who who benefits from having this out there? Who's telling them this? Because what, uh, what a new deal might look like for the Titans might you know, Derek Henry's camp might have something else in mind. And, uh, yeah, the t- I, I can see the Titans looking at it from one, you know, one standpoint where you want to protect yourself moving forward. Derek Henry may be looking at it from a perspective of, you know, better get mine now before things change again. So right. uh, I, I thought it was interesting um, and be curious to see if anything comes out of it. I mean, you got to keep in mind, obviously, Jeffrey Simmons, too, saw A.J. Brown's deal and might be thinking, hey, what about me? So, so that, those are the kinds of things that crop up uh, this time of year. Well, and, you know, I mean, it, it's not lost on me or any of us, I'm sure, at this point that CAA just did a remarkable job of leveraging one uh, former Titan as far as their clientele is concerned. So why wouldn't they try to dip their toe back into the situation with a client who has decidedly less leverage than A.J. Brown did? Jim Wyatt, TennesseeTitans.com. Read all of the great work that he is producing there as well as the occasional uh, appearances on whatever the Titans media group is producing at any given point. Joe Rex Road, 6 to 10 a.m., 1025 The Game and theathletic.com. Thank you, boys.